Cuban War for Independence had been raging for three years before the United States became involved. In that time, Americans had been reading headlines of the horrors that Spain was inflicting upon Cuba, and the public's sympathies naturally fell upon the island nation in the Caribbean. While initially apprehensive to interject, President William McKinley was ultimately persuaded by his assistant secretary of the Navy, a plucky politician from New York named Theodore Roosevelt, to dispatch a battleship to the island's capital of Havana, just for safe measure. A champion for the underdog, Roosevelt was sympathetic to the Cubans' plight, and keen on seeing them gain their independence from Spain. Thus, President McKinley sent the USS Maine to Havana, where it was anchored peacefully for three months before the real trouble began. On the night of February 15, 1898, the ship blew up under mysterious circumstances, killing 262 sailors on board. To this day, it's unclear just what exactly had caused it, though the ruling theory is that it had struck a mine. Regardless, it was seen as an act of sabotage on behalf of the Spanish, and deemed an act of war. Adopting the slogan, Remember the Maine, the United States declared war on Spain, and the Spanish-American War began. But this episode isn't so much about the conflict as it is the ragtag force of American soldiers that was organized in the wake of the explosion, the like of which helped usher in a new era for Cuba as well as the United States military. I'm Chester Sakamoto, your host, and welcome to a special Veterans Day commemorative of the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us, and today we'll be taking a look at the Rough Riders, one of the most tenacious and resilient regiments in the history of the United States Army. Perhaps not surprisingly, it was the Assistant Secretary of the Navy himself, Theodore Roosevelt, who was instrumental in the formation of the Rough Riders, though it was President McKinley who sent out the initial call for volunteers to aid in the war effort in the wake of the main tragedy. Nothing short of 125,000 volunteers would be necessary to aid the rebelling Cubans. Resigning his post, Roosevelt petitioned the Secretary of War, Russell A. Alger, to allow him to organize his own volunteer regiment, with his good friend, war hero and veteran Leonard Wood, serving as colonel, and Roosevelt himself serving as lieutenant colonel. The result was the first volunteer cavalry unit in American history. In all, some 23,000 answered the call, the applications of which both Wood and Roosevelt sorted through personally. What was initially intended to be a regiment comprised of rugged frontiersmen from the wilds of Arizona, New Mexico, Oklahoma, and Texas was instead made up of a motley crew of polo players, gamblers, glee club singers, gold prospectors, athletes from Ivy League schools, hunters, Texas state policemen, known as the Texas Rangers, cowboys, and Native Americans, each of whom were ready and willing to avenge the Maine, show their patriotism, and aid the Cubans in their struggle against Spain. Despite the prospective troops' diverse backgrounds, each of the men quickly proved their capability in shooting, as well as on riding horseback. Some of the men had even served in previous conflicts, most notably the Civil War and the Battle of Little Bighorn. It was these particular men who were charged with leading and training the others. As most of the volunteers hailed from the aforementioned states, and at the time territories, they were given the moniker Rough Riders by Roosevelt himself. After legendary entertainer Buffalo Bill's Traveling Wild West show, known as the Congress of the Rough Riders of the World. Each of the soldiers was to be equipped with a Springfield Krag rifle, the standard-issue weapon of the time, as well as a Colt single-action army revolver and a bowie knife. Along with these, they'd have to carry with them a change of clothes, shelter tents, and various pieces of gear for the horses it was assumed they would be using in battle. When not engaging the enemy in close combat, they'd use the gas-operated tripod-mounted M1895 Colt Browning machine gun, the most advanced weapon of its day. To set themselves apart, however, the Rough Rider uniform was designed especially for them. Consisting of a slouch hat, a blue flannel shirt, brown trousers complete with brown leggings and boots, with a handkerchief tied around the neck, the look was made to emulate that of a typical cowboy cavalry of the time. It was this uniform that further cemented the Rough Rider's reputation. 
Once they completed basic training, which consisted of military drills, etiquette, conduct, obedience, and protocol, they were ready to depart for Cuba. On May 29, 1898, the first leg of their journey began when 1,060 Rough Riders in 12 companies and 1,258 of their horses were transported via the Southern Pacific Railroad to Tampa, Florida, from which they would depart for the island nation. When they arrived in Tampa, however, they were ordered by Major General William Rufus Shafter, who was under heavy urging from Washington, D.C., to board the ship, the Yucatan, quickly, even before sufficient travel storage was made available. As such, only eight of the Rough Riders' twelve companies were allowed to board, and most of the horses and provisions were left behind. Needless to say, this greatly lowered the regiment's morale, and the men who were able to disembark did so with heavy hearts and a sense of foreboding. They were, after all, a cavalry division, so how would they be able to fare without their horses and the training they'd received? The future at the time must have seemed bleak for Wood, Roosevelt, and their men, but it was nothing compared to the conditions that awaited them in Cuba. They arrived on the island on June 23, 1898, and quickly set up camp nearby. Over the ensuing couple days, their limited supplies and few horses were unloaded from within the Yucatan's hull, and it quickly became clear that their situation was rather dire. For starters, each man would only be allowed to carry a few days' worth of provisions with him, and the hot, humid conditions combined with the thick jungle terrain would prove to be especially difficult to traverse on foot. Still, they had a job to do, and they were determined to get it done no matter the cost. Just two days after they'd arrived, the Rough Riders would have their first brush with the enemy. A handful of men were sent into the dense jungle that morning to scout out Spanish strongholds and report them back to the others. Sure enough, they located one, an outpost known as Las Guasimas. By afternoon, the rest of the regiment was on the move, though traversing the trails that wound their way through the lush, green overgrowth proved far more difficult than they'd initially thought. Exhausted and disoriented after spending the entire day navigating the labyrinthine and uneven terrain, they set up camp for the night, unbeknownst to them, a mere stone's throw away from where a Spanish unit of troops was based. They pressed on the following day. About halfway through the tropical forest, however, the enemy, hidden among the trees and thick foliage, began firing upon them. To make matters worse, the Spanish used a type of smokeless gunpowder, which made it near impossible to locate their positions. Miraculously, though, the Rough Riders, aided by some 800 Cubans, were able to push the Spaniards all the way back to their second line of trenches. Even more surprising was the fact that they were able to withdraw the enemy from their final positions, securing the outpost as well as the hill upon which it was based. By the end of the battle, Las Guasimas had fallen into American and Cuban hands, after which time they spent the ensuing six days resting, eating, and burying the dead from both sides of the conflict. It was during this time that some of the men died from fever, no doubt as a result of having bitten by mosquitoes, which were quite plentiful on the island. In fact, malaria and yellow fever sometimes proved to be far deadlier than facing the enemy, as several troops from both sides were claimed by these most heinous of diseases. At the end of this six-day respite, the order was given for the Rough Riders to march on towards the San Juan Heights, just outside the town of Santiago, some eight miles, thirteen kilometers away, where a Spanish force a thousand strong awaited them. The plan was to keep the enemy occupied while American artillery rained down upon them. The primary attack would be carried out by another division under the command of Brigadier General Henry Lawton against a Spanish stronghold known as El Cane a few miles away. The Rough Riders were due to meet up with this division at the height of the battle, but were pinned down in the middle of the battlefield as they were left vulnerable to both friendly and Spanish fire. Taking cover along a riverbank at the foot of what was known as Kettle Hill, they waited for the bombardment to subside. But not wanting his men to be sitting ducks, Roosevelt sent messengers to nearby units to seek permission to advance from their perilous position. Luckily, they were given the order, and told to join the regular forces in the assault on the front of the hill. Originally given the order to return the enemy's rifle fire, Roosevelt felt it a good idea to charge the Spanish head-on, as this would prove to be more effective in securing the hill. 
Upon discussing it with the captain of one of the regular units, it was agreed upon, and the Rough Riders were given the new order to charge. Less than half an hour later, Kettle Hill was secured, though casualties on both sides were high. The Rough Riders and regulars were only able to charge thanks to a volley of Gatling gun cover ordered by Lieutenant John H. Parker of the U.S. Army's 5th Army Corps. Get this, the Gatling guns ended up unloading a whopping 18,030 Army rounds into enemy trenches from atop the hill. A Spanish counterattack ensued, though this 600-strong force was also quickly wiped out by the barrage. So impressed was Roosevelt that he turned over the Rough Riders' own Colt Browning machine guns and the volunteers manning them over to Lieutenant Parker's command and placed them at strategic points along the American line. The rest of the San Juan Heights was taken about an hour later and earned both the Rough Riders and Roosevelt quite the reputation back home. Shortly after the battle, word of their charge at San Juan Hill made newspapers throughout the United States and the world, and it was this heroic and brave act that ultimately won Roosevelt the governorship of New York State a year later in 1899. From there, the victorious Rough Riders, along with their fellow regiments and Cuban allies, pressed on to the city of Santiago de Cuba, where a Spanish military stronghold was situated, one of the largest in the country. Upon their arrival there, the American and Cuban forces formed a constrictive barrier around the town from which the enemy wouldn't be able to escape. From there, they descend upon the city, driving the Spaniards out. While the enemy had a fleet of cruisers in port out in Santiago Bay, the United States Navy quickly annihilated them. This greatly crippled the Spanish cause, though they continued to put up a brave and vicious fight all the way up to the end. Said end would come on July 16, 1898, when both the United States and Spanish governments agreed to terms of capitulation. They actively avoided the word surrender. By August 12th that same year, Spain had agreed to an armistice and relinquished its hold on the island nation. Cuba was now independent, and the United States gained former Spanish territorial possessions in both the Caribbean and Pacific, most notably Guam, Puerto Rico, and the Philippines. These acquisitions raised America to the ranks of an imperial power, on par with the likes of Britain and France, and ushered in, for better or for worse, a period of intervening in foreign affairs, one that continues right up to the present moment. Following the Civil War, or the war between the states, as it's known abroad, the United States Army was in a state of disarray and disorder. The Rough Riders were the first regiment to emerge from this tumultuous period and brought stability back to the proverbial ranks. From their victory in Cuba, they brought America into the 20th century, ensuring the nation a spot on the world stage. As for Theodore Roosevelt, he'd go on to become vice president to William McKinley, and served, upon the latter's assassination, as the 26th president of the United States between 1901 and 1909. To say that his and the Riders' legacy have endured would be the grossest of understatements. To this day, the Rough Riders remain one of the most celebrated military outfits in U.S. history, and continue to inspire new recruits with their tales of heroism, bravery, and tenacity. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information on the Rough Riders, I'd like to suggest Theodore Roosevelt's own eponymous account of his experiences leading them in the Spanish-American War. It can easily be found at your local library, or ordered through your favorite bookstore or online retailer. If you enjoy history and learning and would like to support this podcast to ensure continued content, please consider becoming a monthly supporter. Just visit anchor.fm slash historylovescompany and click the support button, which will redirect you to three monthly support plans that fit your budget. Listening and sharing also help in big ways, so please do so wherever you get your podcasts. Join me again next week for a look at the origins of Thanksgiving as an enduring and beloved American holiday, right here on the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. This is Chester Sakamoto signing off. See you next time. Thank you.